This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I am your host, Sheldon Primus. This is the podcast where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. And this week, we are actually going to have a solo episode with me and we're going to go through a few things related to OSHA and what do we do now that there is no vaccine mandate? What should we expect? So I'm not going to call this an OSHA update per se, but it is good enough that we do need to figure out what's going on here because we need to be able to tell our clients also what's going on here, right? So we are going to spend this episode to briefly go over what you can expect for COVID-19 regulations for OSHA. It's probably what you think. I don't know. Could be. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead. It's only going to be me today. So I'm going to go ahead and begin with this one because I really want to make sure that you're going to get a good understanding of what's going on here. So if you're not familiar with what's happening with the U.S. OSHA, uh, they were going to do a max vaccine. It's easy for me to say. (laughs) Going to do a vaccine mandate. And what this mandate was going to be was um, you had to have proof of vaccination for your employees if you had 100 or more. Or for those people who had exceptions for some reason and they couldn't prove they were vaccinated. The second thing was there the other compliance thing that would have been is that they would have had to have a weekly testing uh, for COVID-19 and it's come up negative every week. I, at the time, was kind of back and forth on that because truly uh, for OSHA, it does take for them to to say that they are uh, protecting the American worker and their idea in the preamble was they're protecting you against yourself and your co-workers, not really yourself, you know. Just a matter of statement, but honestly, it was protecting you against the unknown of if your co-worker could be a possible vector for the virus. So therefore, being vaccinated would have reduced that risk. So at that point, OSHA was trying to do what's called a specification standard. There's two big parts of the standards for OSHA. One would be a performance standard, meaning when there's a rule and regulation, OSHA says, you got to do this, follow this rule. How you follow it is up to you. So that is a performance standard. You got to figure out how to follow the rules. Whereas a specification standard in construction, let's say you're at an elevated height, six feet or more, now you know you need fall protection. Fall protection could be personal fall arrest system, could be guardrails, could be a safety net, but you need something at six feet. That's a specification standard because the six feet lets you know you got to do something. Uh, Same thing with silica exposure at 25 micrograms per cubic centimeters. It's an action level. At that level, when you're measuring, you see that there's silica level at this uh, action level. You got to start prepping and doing something to reduce that at 50 micrograms per cubic centimeters. All right, we hit a magic number, and that is your permissible exposure limit, PEL. Once that PEL is hit, 
then now that is it. You can't go any further than that. So at that point, OSHA is being specific about the compliance. So what they were trying to do with COVID-19 and the vaccine rule was they're really going to be specific about how you're going to protect your worker from COVID-19 or, you know, SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes the disease COVID-19. So that's really what we're talking about, right? So it got all the way up to the Supreme Court. And in a shadow docket, the Supreme Court made a um, decision that says, hey, we're not with this. This one is uh, definitely not good for uh, or, or not in our belief system or, or however, you know, you would paraphrase it. But in the shadow docket, uh, OSHA was denied. <laughs> so with that denial, what are we going to do? What does OSHA do? They're going to go right back to what they did before. So what did they do before? They considered it a general duty clause violation, 5A1. So that general duty clause violation is a big one. Uh, I call it the no better, you know better rule. So in the you know better rule, OSHA just truly says that you have to make sure that you will protect your workers uh, because you recognize the hazard and the hazard is exposing to your workers. It's reasonable to think that the worker is going to get sick or, uh, well, seriously ill, seriously sick in this situation or death, and that you have a feasible way of making sure that this worker will not be susceptible to this disease or illness or whatever it is. Uh, in this point, it's going to be SARS-CoV-2. So now that's going to be what OSHA is going to go back to. Then go back to that regulation. Uh, there's already an existing national emphasis program in the U.S. for COVID-19. So both healthcare and non-healthcare, there is a national emphasis program. So that means that OSHA can now go through the facility, uh, especially if there's a complaint, and now say that we're going to do a national emphasis inspection related to the complaint or related to um, maybe even your numbers because OSHA has changed their mindset as they're not um, waiting for fatalities and catastrophes as much as they're seeing trending in your injury tracking application. And that's the electronic record keeping for OSHA that businesses have to put in some businesses if you're regulated under the 1904 OSHA rules for record keeping. But these businesses have to actually submit electronically their records on the OSHA summary log. And that's your 300A form for you in the OUS that are aware of that. Uh, those are, that are not every year, OSHA says that you have to summarize by number uh, how many people were injured, how many days away, and uh, a few other categories. And then this summary gets posted. Or actually, right now, this is the time. It goes posted February 1st, and then comes down on May 1st, or actually April 30th. But you want to make sure you just give it that extra day. May 1st, and then go ahead and take it down. But this information is being held in a place where everyone could see your injuries from last year, 2021. So now those people that have been submitting 
the injury logs three years in a row, OSHA could start seeing that you had an increase in your injuries. And uh, by, you know, just to let you guys know, OSHA is also going to be changing that. So don't be scared. <laughs> they are changing that. So what they're doing is they're going back to the original intent of the rule before uh, the previous administration in the U.S. Uh, they went a little lax on the rules and uh, changed some things regarding record keeping. OSHA's going right back to that, and they're going to look for the 300 logs, which has names and specific situations, the 301 log, which is like the first notice of injury, and also the 300A log. So armed with that information and OSHA's new tactic and, my, and ideas, they're going to see sicknesses, injuries, illnesses, and from there, they're going to move those things uh, if you're three years, that's a trend of in, you know, increased or more injuries, illnesses. So with that trend, uh, then now they know you can got to trigger uh, an actual inspection. So in doing that and going back to the original thought in this, this episode, we've got the National Emphasis Program for COVID-19. So anywhere in the U.S., if there's going to be... Uh, uh, inspection they could start an inspection from usually it's going to be a whistleblower complaint about your conditions for handling COVID-19 and in that case then OSHA has a complaint and a national emphasis program so they're going to go and they're going to go through the facilities and they're going to start not only looking for close contact and uh, close contact as defined by the CDC through the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, NIOSH, and that is uh, OSHA has a research arm, which is NIOSH, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, and their research arm is housed in the Center for Disease Control, CDC. So OSHA and CDC work hand-in-hand, hand, especially through that agency, NIOSH. So you will have to go back to the CDC's definition of close contact. And uh, I, I got that here for you, so I'm gonna go ahead and give it to you. CDC close contact through proximity and duration of exposure. So this means, and I remember doing this one before, so you'll have to go back to a couple episodes if you wanna hear it in even more detail, but someone who is less than six feet away from an infected person and that'll be lab confirmed or clinically diagnosed for a cumulative total of 15 minutes or more over a 24 hour period. And then they give you an example. For example, three individual five minute exposures for a total of 15 minutes. So meaning if you got exposed to someone three times five minutes each and this person was diagnosed so that means at work they may not have had their diagnosis but day two whatever it is you find out oh man billy he's got the covid and uh he's got a positive test on that and you go back and you're thinking in your brain dude i worked with billy i worked with him at least see him what three times a shift and when we're together we're together for like 10-15 minutes all right that has established close contact 
And once close, close contact gets established, and uh, that is now saying, uh, according to this definition through the CDC, that you now have a condition where this employee was exposed to SARS-CoV-2 through another employee by the definition of close contact. And then the definition keeps going on. It says uh, an infected person can spread SARS-CoV-2 starting two days before they have any symptoms. And then in parentheses it says, or for asymptomatic people two days before the positive specimen collection date. So if it's Sunday that this person had a positive um, test, or at least a specimen was collected there, and then they got their test results a couple of days later. But at that time, then this is saying that that person could have been spreading on Friday. Yeah, so Sunday is the day that we've got their asymptomatic or, or testing, if you would. And then you're thinking Saturday and Friday. So at that point, Thursday to Friday would be in the time you would think I had contact or exposure to Billy and therefore, I could get the COVID. So that's what uh, OSHA is going to be looking for for their, their guideline on close contact. So with the guideline on close contact, that's going to go right to the specification standard for COVID-19 only. Everything else is going to be a performance standard. So there's going through um, just again, we're talking about what what happens now. And for you understanding what happens now, now you can explain to your clients or if you are the safety consultant at your job and you just don't have that title, a safety consultant and maybe safety officer or director of safety. What you're going to be thinking about is, all right, here is how OSHA is going to regulate this thing. So they're going to go in and uh, either it's going to be a complaint or it could be a national emphasis program. And they're going to go in, they're going to look through the facility. They want to see if there's close contact as they're walking through. And that's also counts for construction sites as well. Guys driving together to, from site to site. All right, close contact. Uh, there might be a scenario where they're all eating together in a certain area. All right, close contact. So at that point, uh, they're looking for some sort of spacing, if you would. So here is the wording that OSHA is going to say, and I'm going to read this one coming from their, um, their preamble on uh, truly COVID-19. In order to determine whether exposure occurred in the work environment or occurred away from work, the employer must evaluate the employee's work duties and environment. To address this issue, the employer must follow the criteria in OSHA's record keeping for determining work relatedness and done a bunch of episodes on record keeping. And just recently, I finished a three part series on record keeping. So I tell you, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. Go back just probably, what, two, three weeks ago, and you're going to see a whole three part series on OSHA record keeping. 2022. So I'm not going to go over that. You guys got a three-part series to go through, and then you also will get go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. See, I'm leading you to this podcast, and once you do, you're going to get yourself some good information. 
you're going to love that information on the podcast. So go ahead and subscribe to that one. And so we're already talking about it's going to address the following things. You're going to get the, uh, and again, I'm going to go back to, to reading what I started with the COVID-19. Uh, so they need to figure out work-relatedness by 1904, Section 5. Because an employee could contact COVID-19 from exposure at work or outside the workplace, an employer whose employee has been hospitalized or is deceased due to COVID-19 needs to consider the following. So here's the criteria for you to see if you could get cited for having close contact and a cluster of workers, really what it's going to boil down to more than just one. Here's the things you're going to consider. Here's what the compliance officer is going to be looking for as well. The type and extent and duration of contact the employee had at the work environment with other people, particularly the general public. See, general public. What? Not only is it your work force, but also the general public. That means on a construction site, you're thinking about uh, your workers and then now the subcontractors workers and everyone else is that a thing it is now truly truly a thing so i i hope i didn't mess with your brain that was your brain your brain blowing up there it's i don't know it's truly uh, i was just trying to think of all different ways it's a specification it's a, a performance, I should say, not a specification performance. You are going to have to consider and you're going to have to talk to subcontractors if you have some. If you have uh, your host employer and you have a contract employer doing some work in your field. And then it's also saying general public. So if you do have the general public coming in and out of your facility, these are all considerations that OSHA is putting in there. All right. Second bullet out of this uh points for consideration and this is taken again directly from OSHA physical distancing and other controls that impact the, the likelihood of work-related exposure so that's the second consideration they're going to be looking for in the inspection third the extent and duration of time spent in shared indoor space with limited ventilation so that's going to lead me to think that's the close contact CDC side that's going to be indoor limited ventilation so that's going to increase the likelihood of an airborne disease going from one person to the next and then finally whether the employee had work-related contact with anyone who exhibited signs and symptoms of COVID-19 so did anyone in there um, if you were at a contact trace anybody who they had some sort of familiarity with, some sort of interaction with, uh, have COVID-19. So at that point, all the conditions would have been met for OSHA to cite you. So they're not going to be citing a specific standard unless you're in the healthcare industry where they could cite uh, subpart U in 1910. But for everyone else, uh, they're going to go ahead and give you a violation in that 5A1 rule that I mentioned earlier. So that 5A1 rule is going to be the thing that uh, everyone's going to end up really thinking about. And uh, that is going to end up being your your citation. So you do not want to get that uh, 5A1 violation at all. You're going to 
go ahead and coach your clients as to uh, this is the way that you're going to avoid COVID-19. Uh, the mandate may have failed for vaccination, but OSHA is not going to give up. Citations can be expensive on this one. Uh, at one point, they were averaging 13000 each one. So I'm not too sure of the new numbers. Uh, you can look that up on the OSHA website, but right now, it's still expensive. So now, how uh, you counsel your crew, counsel your your uh, contractors or your clients is use the, the guidelines they just gave you. Make them aware of it. And then now that they're aware of it, you could then help them with some mitigation. All right, that's it for me. So I am so glad that you guys are there with me. Uh, I know my days haven't always been Monday releases. I've been trying to get used to my, uh, my new travel schedule, so thanks for bearing with me, but I haven't missed a week. I'm not missing you guys, so subscribe so you know if it's not exactly Monday with a new episode that you know you're going to get one this week, and I'll give you a nice notification on your phone or the device you listen to me on. But right now, go get them. This episode has been powered by Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast or broadcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within the past hour are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast or broadcast may be reproduced, stored within a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast or broadcast, Sheldon Primus.